Mary Poppins, practically perfect in every way. Be the miners. Sure, they're like three years old. Miners, not miners. If you eliminate the impossible, whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. <laughs> I don't, don't want to kill you. What would I do without you? Every time someone says, I do not believe in fairies, somewhere there's a fairy that falls down We're dead. We women who aren't afraid to fight, to stand up for our dignity. Transference is inevitable, sir. Every human being has an impact. There are no colored bathrooms in this building. And a simple string of pearls. Well, I don't own pearls. Lord knows you don't pay colors enough to afford pearls. History of evolution has taught us it's that life will not be contained. Life finds a way. Words are, in my not so humble opinion, our most inexhaustible source of magic. Hello and welcome. This is Bite the Pen. I'm Jan Hansen, and sitting a stone's throw away is Miss Charlotte Martinez. Hello, Charlotte. Hello, Jen. Greetings all. Today, we're going to be talking about a form of storytelling that we haven't really ever talked about before. I think we were both just kind of tired because <laughs> we did like the four part Mulan series and then we did the two part dragon series and both of those were very time consuming, uh, good and interesting, but time consuming. And we wanted to do something a little bit lighter and wham bam. Thank you, ma'am. Very quick. Uh, I mean, not that we didn't research it, but we did, but you know. That sounded very musical. Wham, bam, <laughs> madam, madam. <laughs> so Charlotte brought this idea to us, and I thought it was a really cool topic. Okay, so what we're going to be talking about today is our folk ballads, and they are fun. That's not what I was going to say, but they are fun. It's a song that's traditionally sung by, I would say, regular people, although rich people are also part of it, but in a, in a region, and it's part of their specific culture. There's very specific aspects to the folk ballad that we're obviously going to be talking about, as opposed to something like a folk song or a ballad, which are two also different things. So in a folk ballad, there's a certain form that goes along with it, and there's the aspects of it that make it a folk ballad, which is pretty much the only way you can figure out if something is a folk ballad is by knowing what it's required to have to be one. Because if you look up folk ballad on Google, for instance, you're going to get folk songs, you're going to get ballads, but they aren't necessarily folk ballads. So in a folk ballad, one of the characteristics of it is it has a narrative. It reads like a poem. It has a story to it. It usually has simple language and it has a rhyming scheme. Is that what they're called? And it's a very specific one. So you have four line stanzas for you poetry and musically inclined people. And they're usually either ABAB or ABCB. And we'll talk about what that means. These songs ballads also have repetition and refrain in them. They typically have dialogue. There is also objective narration, which is, it's, it's like third person om omnipotent. And then usually they have something to do with love or tragic love or epic love or something to do with love. They also can be called traditional ballads or narrative songs. <laughs> but again, like it would be very difficult to just like plug those terms into Google and find a list of things that are actually the traditional ballad or the narrative song or the folk ballad. 
So a ballot itself, I just want to throw this out there, is a term in the recording industry for slow romantic songs. But obviously, that's not what we're talking about. I mean, it is, but it's not. Actually, the Smithsonian, of all places, I thought had a really good summation of what is and what is not a folk ballad. And they say a folk ballad are folk songs that tell a story. And I think that's a really simple way of of viewing the difference between a folk ballad and a folk song. But that's just kind of like a umbrella about like the basics of it. Do you want to tell us like the girth of it, what it's what it's all about? Yeah, and I would like to mention also that this is the first time Jen and I are exploring the form of storytelling with the element of music, which I think was an important thing to sort of introduce to you all because we haven't touched on additional sensory details while telling a story like we haven't really done like musicals or just a regular song even and we start with something as specific as folk ballads and we started with it because it was some of the oldest forms of storytelling with music it's not to say that we're not going to explore more music storytelling later but because neither Jen nor I are professional musicians or anything or even singers I mean we've tried both I'm sure but we can kind of approach it from the storyteller perspective and say that this is an effective form of storytelling because of this 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 and this but it's again it's our opinions and what we've researched but we found it to be interesting for that reason, right? Like, what's a new way of telling a story that's different than just a poem, for example, or reading an entire epic? Even something like the Odyssey can be broken down to a four-line stanza that's sung to a child. Like, who would think that was possible? Well, it's possible in folk ballads. This is why it's an interesting genre. <laughs> would you agree with all of that? Does that sound like it's true yeah. <laughs> for you as well? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I don't know that I tried to ever be a singer, but everything else, yes. Hey, I thought you told me you had, like, a few vocal classes. No, I had a few vocal lessons, but who was I kidding? <laughs> I would count I would count those two, man. I don't know. Some people who just, like, never sing. They're smart. They're like, yeah, I know I can't sing, so I'm not gonna. I'm like, mm, I'm gonna try it. <laughs> Silly. I think anyway, yes. I think it's a good idea to try. I don't know. <laughs> who cares if you're terrible? Singing is fun. <laughs> I'm going to mention a little bit about its history, even though like most early forms of any storytelling, we're not sure. Like there's no concrete evidence anywhere. Maybe there's some records, but you know, pre-literate any society won't have much. And just like our legend, like Mulan's legend, there is, there's nothing concrete for this either, but it's theorized that they're over a thousand years old, which I would even think the first human being who ever sung a note, that's when the ballad began. No, I don't know. <laughs> That's probably was that a not. thousand years ago. <laughs> no, I need it was to way up on my history. <laughs> it was way more than a thousand years ago. <laughs> oh god! I think actually the a thousand year old date came from the Smithsonian site. If you can trust anyone, it's the Smithsonian. <laughs> that's a good rule of thumb. You know what I mean? God, I hope that's that's not like an awful thing to say because like next year it's gonna be like Smithsonian has been accused of falsifying their evidence. <laughs> 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 that'll be the third national treasure movie just like discovering all of the artifacts or a lot of the artifacts in the smithsonian are actually fakes but maybe he like finds the real ones and they didn't know it was a fake oh although they have like lots of historians there so i feel like they would know that but see that would be the disappointing part it's like well then maybe were they in it for money and they were set to forge these things so they can like look cool in the museum and Oh, because people don't go to museums anymore. 
<laughs> that would be an interesting premise for a movie. I'm not going to lie. Because I could forgive that, strangely enough. Because <laughs> I get that. Copyright. Nobody take it. We're, <laughs> we're writing it. It's copyright protected because we said it. <laughs> That's how it works. That's our idea. <laughs> Great. Now I'm going to be thinking about, like, the third national <laughs> Anyway, tell us about where the folk ballads came from. Right. It is also theorized that they were medieval in origin because in that age, things were not so great, but also somewhat great. <laughs> there was lots of myth, legend, and folklore being spread around, right? That was like the thing that got them to do stuff. What was the last thing we talked Dragons. Our dragon episode, we sort of mentioned the age of chivalry was huge for boasting about story and heroes. So all of that would accumulate to multiple aspects of storytelling, like song and music and dance, or just the written poem. They would usually be about a heroic person, an event, a memorable disaster, anything like that would be valid topics for this. So they assumed it was born from that age. And then if it helps, the etymology of ballad is, well, in Latin, I think you say Belair, B-A-L-L-A-R-E. Like where the prince is from? <laughs> the French prince of Belair. Thank you. That is how I'm saying it. Maybe okay. not, but that's the correct <laughs> pronunciation that I'm using. Yes, it means to dance. Oh, how nice. So yeah, the third theory is then that it was inspired and meant to be accompanied with dance. Hmm. So even if you didn't have an instrument and you could sing it, they would often be danced to as well. Interesting. I don't know why. I always thought that ballads were slow. I guess you can still dance to them, but in my head, that just didn't match up for some reason. In contemporary times, it totally does. Like you said, the love ballad took that term from our folk traditional mm. ballads. For us, it now means slow, but it never originally meant slow. It could be actually any tempo, but the quicker it was, the better it was to dance to. Well, that's society for you. They just take something and completely ignore its definition. <laughs> yeah, I like the term love ballad. I always think that's very romantic sounding. Anyway, where were we? Okay, right. So that's all theory. Now as to who created them and who they were for, that's more concrete because around the 1600s, things were starting to be documented and printed because of the printing press. Yay. <laughs> But first, I have to look this up because I know what minstrels meant, but I kind of get them confused with like the jouster. But they're basically the performers for usually noblemen, and they'll actually go to the residence and perform poems, songs, music, dance. And what they did was they created their own ballads for that reason. They wrote them and performed them. And then would circulate within the wealthy, first of all, because that's how they were hired. But eventually, the songs that they created, because they had simple language, they used repetition, all of those characteristics that you mentioned, that they would be spread among the non-literate and the lower classes. And it spread fast. And they used them quite often. So it kind of breaks the bounds of classism, too, which is exciting. Specifically... When they came to North America, it came through, of course, the European settlers, both the Spanish and then the English. Around 1600s, right, is when everybody started coming in, maybe before that. <laughs> we know all that history, good times, good times. And then, of course, in a new nation, there's new ballads being developed. So not only would they sing the old European stuff and adapt it to whatever mm. situation came up, but they would create their own, especially for events like the gold rush, immigration labor, all of that. Mm -hmm. They had their own right work songs, labor songs. And they also started printing them and 
the way I understand it is they would print these song sheets to be sold to the common person. And then they would only have the lyrics, but sometimes the merchants would know the tune. So they would like play the tune for the buyer before they actually bought it. Interesting. So lyrics kind of at that point may somewhat be mainstream. That doesn't mean they didn't create their own later. It goes through its own evolution as most every story does, which is great. That's what we want. But overall, and to this day, even though ballads aren't as popular, obviously, but the point back then was entertainment and then capturing a time and a place. It wasn't for historic accuracy. So that was something that we have to understand about this form of storytelling is it wasn't meant to be a record. It was meant to capture emotion. And that's how people took it. I get all my facts from folk ballads. (laughs) If it's not in a folk ballad, it's not true. (laughs) Just like our legends, right? (laughs) Mulan was real, damn it. You can tell me all you want that a jackalope doesn't exist, but it does. And it's just a matter of time until we find it. Exactly. So then our third question is, why are they effective as a storytelling genre? Um, I have a question. Yes. Why are they an effective form of storytelling? That is an excellent question. <laughs> I've never heard a better question. <laughs> the first thing I thought, even without research, is, well, because it's using a different part of our senses other than just reading. I mean, a poem is great, and you can emote a lot from a poem, images, dialogue, character, all that. That's amazing. That's all there in a folk ballad. However, when you add something like music, those are different senses that are triggered, and your brain will remember more of it. So that's the first thing I thought. I'm like, yeah, music. And then when I looked it up and it was like, oh, yeah, people used to dance to it, too. Well, there's another emotive sensory detail being added to this memory of a story. So you have song, you have text, and you have movement triple threat, something like that is going to be memorable, especially for uh, developing children. And that's why folk ballads were told a lot to children as well. Like, how do you convey things to a child who doesn't read yet, but they'll remember a tune at that age? I mean, just from personal experience as a kid, we did definitely, especially at camp, there was a lot of folk ballad singing, but I don't remember ever doing a dance with it. And I think that is an interesting aspect that kind of fell off. What about gestures? Any clapping, hand stuff? Any of that would count as dance. It's movement. Uh, yeah. You mentioned the the actual form of the written folk ballad as well, that that's a very good indication that it fits in that genre. For example, the quatrain, the four-line rhyming scheme, which is usually in all verses. And then you might have something like a chorus, which is repeated between the verses, If you have that repetition in there, again, that's another helpful part of the brain. And according to another, and I can't remember what website it was, but they were saying that, and this is true, the the quatrain verses were used for forwarding the plot. That's where you get the details, time, place, all of that, painting a picture, that'll go within the verse. And then the chorus, whether it's repeated or not, is going to carry the emotional baggage. Because sometimes folk ballads would just wait for the very final verse to have a chorus But it's most memorable at the end. And people, if they don't remember the verses, they'll remember that last Mm. quatrain because it carries the moral or the message. Any of that would be maybe at the very end. I see. I did have an example as far as an American folk ballad that's probably one of the most well-known because it does paint a picture of a specific culture, which is the African-American labor of the train tracks mm-hmm. when they were being built. And John Henry, ah, yes. even though it cannot be verified as a historic person, is remembered for that reason. It's the working class family and their values. The story is very basic. He's a driller 
Mm. which means that he drives in rocks for dynamite to be placed so tunnels can be built for the train tracks. Like, there's all these explosions mm. that happen. But he's trying to outbeat a steam engine that also does the same task. But whether it's for, you know, honor, for... Pride? Pride, yes, that's the word. <laughs> or to get rid of the machinery, right? Because it's kind of the beginning of the industrial age. To keep your job. Yeah, a lot of people were losing jobs. Maybe that was his goal, was to demonstrate that, no, like, men can do this too. And he did. He beat the steam engine, but, of course, it had to be tragic, and he dies by the end of it because it took his life. Of course it did. Yes, which, again, is the perfect premise for a folk ballad. It has a great moral. It has a specific time and place. And then, of course, when you look at the song, the rhyming scheme is A, B, C, B. Verse number one, for example, John Henry was a little baby sitting on his papa's knee. He picked up a hammer and a little piece of steel said, hammer's going to be the death of me. After every verse is Lord, Lord, because it was sung like a gospel, hammer's going to be the death of me. So repetition, repetition, repetition. Well, John Henry said to the captain, look, y'all know what I see. Hold on, choke, you drill done broke, and you can't drive steel like me, Lord, Lord, can't drive steel like me. Well, John Henry drove into the mountain, yes, his hammer was striking fire. He drove so hard, he broke his poor heart when he laid down his hammer and he died, Lord, Lord, laid down his hammer and he died. And then as the ballad sort of evolved, there became different subgenres, and I think some of our songs are going to fit those subgenres. For example, broadside ballads. At some point, the newspapers paid poets to create ballads for the public. Whether it was news gathering for political agendas, gossip, they would actually be paid to create them and somebody would sing them. War ballads, which had a lot of propaganda behind them. Working class ballads, labor ballads like John Henry. Children's ballads that usually had to do with like folky topics and dark lessons to be taught when you're young. <laughs> gruesome so gruesome <laughs> sea shanties and corridos sea shanties sung at the sea and then corridos were when the mexican-american wars were going on that's when they were born because some of that separation of the spanish settlers that now became part of the united states mm. officially <laughs> so now oh. we had this big influence of native spanish mm. The Mexican population that were now part of Mexico started their own traditions of stuff. Interesting. But we kept the corrido in America as well. Cool. That's what I have about the history. Cool. Well, thank you for that. So in terms of what we're going to do next, what we decided was that we would divvy up things by region. So we both picked an American folk ballad to discuss, and we both picked a foreign folk ballad to discuss. So I thought we might as well start on our home turf and then branch out to wherever we may go in the world. So I guess I'm first. The ballad that I chose is probably one you've never heard of. It's called Home on the Range. <gasps> uh... <laughs> I tried to find, like, the most ultra-American one that I could find, and this was it. <laughs> and it's it's considered the unofficial anthem of the American West, which makes a lot of sense. I feel like everybody knows this song, but here's a clip. Oh, give me a home where 
where the buffalo roam, where the deer and the antelope play, where seldom is heard a discouraging word, and the skies are not cloudy all day. Home, home on the range Where the deer and the antelope play Where seldom is heard a discouraging word And the skies are not cloudy all day So that's Home on the Range if you've never heard it before. I thought you were going to like sing it. <laughs> we talked about this. This was the time to surprise me with your singing. <laughs> so, Home on the Range was originally a poem, which makes a lot of sense in the context of folk ballads. And there was a question of who actually wrote it. But over time, eventually, there was enough conclusive evidence that they proved that this dude wrote the poem. His name is Dr. Brewster Higley, if that's not the most American West name you've ever heard. And the music was written by Dan Kelly, which doesn't sound quite as Western. <laughs> <laughs> they wrote it in the early 1870s. There's a lot of like question about 1871, 1872, or 1873. So one of those three is seems to be the consensus, which makes a lot of sense because that's near the end of the American West when things started to change, but there was still sort of a settling. I mean, and people had mostly settled by that point, but it was still growing. It was still, you know, people were still coming from all over the world to the to the United States. Even after they didn't find gold, right? They were just like, who cares? There's land. <laughs> <laughs> who would have thought? <laughs> Continue. So sorry. It wasn't until, or it was in 1947, which was also the year of the Roswell incident, just sidebar conspiracy theory. Um, but it wasn't until 1947 that the state of Kansas made it their official song because Dr. Brewster Higley was from Kansas. And then in 2010, members of the Western Writers of America, which is kind of like the Writers Guild, I think, but for Western writers, chose it to be one of the top 100 Western songs of all time. And there's a pretty good reason for that. I mean, it would be difficult to find, I think, an American who doesn't know what this is. Even if they don't know the words, I think if you said to almost any American, like, do you know what Home on the Range is? They'd be like, yeah, obviously. Which is pretty amazing. It's so, like, in our culture. And there were different versions. We'll find this a lot, or I found this a lot in other ballads, folk ballads as well, is that there's different versions. So there was like a version, the original version that Dr. Brewster Higley wrote in 1871, 72 or 73. And then there was like a updated version in a time after that. <laughs> uh, but the one that we use most commonly was the one from 1910. And it's updated for the area like, even the Kansan, Kansasin, Kansas people, even the people of Kansas, Kansans. <laughs> I, I have no idea how you would say that. Actually, as soon as it became the state song, they started getting complaints that it didn't quite fit the modern idea of Kansas, like what they want to be now versus what they were then. 
And so there, that's sort of what led to these changes. And then, of course, like the English changed just in terms of like how you speak now versus how you spoke then. Uh, so yeah, the 1910 version is the one that most people know. And it's the one that we sang as kids. I don't, did you ever sing Home on the Range? I'm so sure mm-hmm. we did. I don't remember, but <laughs> there's plenty of movies that have somebody exaggerating, right? The Western twang, Home on the Range. Yeah. <laughs> I can see why. It's extremely catchy, even if you're not from the West. It's a bold American kids song, so you gotta know it. And I can see why. Exactly. I remember, I think I was like 12 or 13, and I was hanging out with Natalie, who's my friend from California, and we used to sing that song for for no reason. I have no idea why we sang it so much, but we used to <gasps> sing that song, and it was just like hilarious to us. I don't, That's again, so don't know why. <laughs> but I have a very visceral memory of that. So let's look at some of the lyrics it does follow the quatrain, which is the four-line stanza, and it follows the ABCB rhyme scheme. One of the most common, most well-known stanzas is the first part, which is, Oh, give me a home where the buffalo roam, where the deer and antelope play, where seldom is heard a discouraging word, and the skies are not cloudy all day. Yeah, she's doing the little dance to it because you just get into that rhythm. <laughs> Everybody! And so then the court, it goes into the chorus, which is, of course, home, home on the range where the deer and the antelope play, where seldom is heard a discouraging word and the skies are not cloudy all day. Like that's your chorus, right? Yes, exactly. Yes. And you have the, yeah, the ABCB rhyme scheme, which to be fair is a lot easier to see if you're looking at it than it is to hear it. It's kind of hard to audibly create that same thing, but I think you can hear it. It would sound weird if it weren't there. And I mean, a lot of the things that we already talked about in terms of even just like Kansas's history with this song is a good example of who this ballad is for and why it became so popular. I mean, it is the unofficial American West folk ballad because it has all these hopes and dreams in it and these like magnificent large spaces. And I think that's a big part of the U.S. that I personally never really took into account. But getting to know people from across the pond, they, in in the European region, everything is just so tight and close. And there aren't these large landscapes that you can actually, like, breathe and, like, you know, not see people for miles and miles and miles. That's not something that exists everywhere. Duh, Jen. But that's not <laughs> something I ever thought about. A lot of European nations began that way. I mean, cities, right? To build them big, build them tall, build them compact. They wouldn't even consider what rural living was until an expansion to North America. And that became a thing where that was possible. So I think you're absolutely right. That's not an exaggeration. Thank you. (laughs) I'm sure like the Canadians, you know, like silly Canadians are probably like, yeah, whatever. But... (laughs) So yeah, it kind of captures this idea of this beautiful, natural place, which in the end represents freedom. And it's over talked about, I think, in times, but that was what people were coming for, which was freedom and to be able to start over or start anew, make a life for themselves that they couldn't otherwise have. I think it's a pretty glorious 
view. It's, it's a romanticized view. I will say that this does not fit the ballad narrative in a few ways. I mean, it does have a narrative, but it's a pretty, it's a loose narrative. It talks about the atmosphere and nature. And it does kind of give you like a bit of a tour, but I wouldn't necessarily call it like a story story. There also is no dialogue in this one. I mean, it is kind of like it is dialogue because it's like me and, and I and you, but it's not actually dialogue. Uh, so there are a few things that it doesn't match up with. But I think overall, with the repetition, pretty simple language, of course, the stanzas and the, the rhyming scheme and the themes, I think, I find it to be a very, very much a love ballad in that way. It's for a place. It's not for a person. But And in that way, it is absolutely folk ballad. You're capturing a time and place for a certain culture. I mean, the culture of the West is a huge deal. Therefore, the story could be about anybody living in the West or wanting to come to the West. If it had an agenda at the time, which is like, you know, westward expansion, for example, folk ballads did that. The broadside ballad, right? When they started hiring people to make poems for that reason, for certain intentions. But this one, the fact that it's called an anthem, I think is very romantic because it is <laughs> capturing a place that worked really hard to become a place. Yeah. You know, not everybody came across the American West in the best way. Some people were shysters. It was pretty, it's a pretty interesting history. I, I think it would be great if we could talk about it some more in a different episode. But it, I like this folk ballad because it, it goes back to even before the Wild West. You know, this is really like the dawn of going west and there's like sweat and blood and all this other stuff that like happens during this time but it's like you just you focus on the beauty and animals and wide open spaces that are open for you to to do something with it's just amazing to me so you might call it a home on the range <laughs> i mean and it's still, I'm assuming it's still being taught to kids. If you came up to a kid and is like, have you heard of Home on the Range? They'll probably say yes. Yeah, I would hope so. Anyway, I don't feel like I'm that old. <laughs> I mean, I'm 32, but. No, nah, I feel like that's that's another one that's going to last very long. Because, I mean, if it's an anthem, it should be lasting pretty long. And exactly like you said, it does capture a culture and a time. So it's like, even though that's not necessarily what we recognize now, we totally recognize that that's what it meant then. Yes, exactly. Okay, well, I think I'm done. Shall we move from Kansas to wherever you are taking us? Yes, mine kind of cheated, however. Okay. <laughs> I interpreted our splitting of the categories as English folk ballads and then foreign language folk ballads. Oh, that's cool. That works too. Not to say that this English one is not popular in America now, mm. but it did come from London. Okay, that's cool. <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> She's hiding in her shirt again. <laughs> sorry. But man, this song just wouldn't leave me alone, so I figured that, that was a good indication that I was supposed to choose it. Nice. I love it. And I'm very sure that many of our listeners, if you've ever watched Pirates of the Caribbean, the... <laughs> fourth movie i guess on stranger tides mm. is the fourth movie they use this song in it and it's a sea shanty so it's the subgenre of folk ballads and sea shanty like i said means it's either sung by sailors at sea or 
people who were involved in sea trade at port, mm. all of that culture was sort of bundled as one. So that all of those would be call, called sea shanties. Okay. Um, this one's called My Jolly Sailor Bold. The the version that is popular in America right now is very foreboding mm. and haunting and beautiful, sung by a woman. Mm. I think most versions that are on Google now or anywhere are sung by a woman. Mm. It feels like a sea song, but it doesn't sound like a shanty. But the original song, however, was very upbeat. So mm. the evolution of its tune was interesting because of how it was used in america but let me back up it is london that it was created and we know this because it was published by someone named john ashton in 1891 the book was called real sailor songs he didn't note where each song came from but there was some other researchers who tracked it and they were saying that it most likely came from the street merchants who sold them as, as song sheets oh wow somewhere around the 1700s, like it's that early. And they were saying because of that, the lyrics probably haven't changed all that much from its original hmm. creation. Because there was also no reason to. It had a lot of the same cliche sea hmm. sayings. And I'll read a few of them out loud. You'll know what I mean by like very cliche, which is fun. Again, another simple language, repetition. People are all familiar with those phrases. But when it's sung and you dance to it, it's suddenly everlasting in everybody's memory, which is good. This fits that description. Hmm. I also chose it because it's like one of the only sea shanties that are sung by women. Yeah. And it's from the perspective of a woman. Hmm. That's shocking. You have, oh my God. I don't know about you, but when looking for songs to pick that involved women at all, not that I had that goal in mind, but oh my God, every story having to do with women awful <laughs> goodness awful i mean it either has something to do with like infidelity or like power over your woman or they accidentally killed their girlfriend or wife i mean awful things i mean there was not one respectful song that i could find in any culture i know this is all before like around 1600s through the 1900s so women didn't have it great anyway and they probably didn't get their songs in these publications right these were all males right but like not even a few of them would be like respectful enough i don't care if it was about love you could still be respectful about it and they often were not yeah probably because these gangs of singers were males and if they're out at sea or if they're workers in groups they're probably all males therefore they sing songs that can be sort of rude about women great i even tried to dig into groups that were all women mm. to see if they had songs of their own and i'm sure they did but like you've said before they would never have published any of them or been able to publish any of them we didn't write the history they did exactly sad so this is why i chose this song and it's not it's not very liberating or anything but <laughs> the situation is coming from a fairly wealthy family she's the daughter of a merchant and whoever marries her gets like like three thousand pounds a year which was very high at the time class and nobility if their daughters were married to wealthier families right um, i'm sure that was that situation everywhere but especially in london because there was a lot of wealthy families in london but in this situation the way i understand it is she falls in love with a sailor 
And it's not even – she doesn't even talk about the relationship all that much, just about her longing for it mm-hmm. and that she doesn't care that she's losing the money because her father's, of course, furious that she's fallen in love with a poor sailor. Of course. But she seems like in high spirits the whole time. So it is an overall positive song for that reason. No matter the drama behind the details of it, there's never a point that says, you know, I'm going to go wait for my sailor bold at the dock. Oh, wait, he hasn't come. Oh, I'm going to go kill myself now. (laughs) That's how they all ended. This one does not. And there's no indication that he does not love her. Hmm. Okay, cool. So this is to say, I think overall... This is a good situation, and it has to do with classism and overcoming classism for love's sake. Nice. But it's the woman who's saying it this time. Very good. That's hard to find. (laughs) Yes, exactly. So that was another reason why I chose it. Nice. I'm going to play you a clip right now, the American version, which is haunting and beautiful, because I want to sort of talk about how it was used in the movie and why it sounds amazing. very haunting right that's the word for it yes in the movie it's interesting the myth is that there are these sirens or spooky mermaids (laughs) that live out in the Mm -hmm. distant sea that lure men to their deaths by dragging them down into the depths of the sea but the way they lure them is by singing or by their song or by their sound That's why they call them sirens. And they're supposed to be irresistible once they start singing. So in the movie, there is a mermaid character that starts to sing to one of the sailors. And she starts to drag him down. But the way she does it is like... I mean, it's kind of creepy, but it's also very beautiful. Mm. I mean, not the fact... I mean, she's also very beautiful, but her (laughs) voice is very beautiful. Mm. And she starts singing this particular song, Mm. which is ironic because the context of it is that this woman was very much in love in the story. With the sailor. Right. But now it's being used by this mythical character Mm. that is intending to kill these sailors. Interesting. I thought that was very clever of the filmmakers. And, of course, after the movie, it became pretty popular in America. That's cool. And I did say it was upbeat to begin with. It it was literally a shanty that you would dance to. Like Yo-Ho? Yeah, exactly. You don't see me everybody when I'm, like, hopping around. (laughs) (laughs) It's bouncy. Can you see me bouncing? (laughs) Because they also predict that it was originally an Irish jig. That it came from Ireland and it was sung in the pubs as well. That makes sense. But that song was called The Banks of Claudie. But the lyrics are very similar. Okay. I'm doing this out of order, but I can now tell you why. Yes. (laughs) It works as a folk ballad. Yes, tell me. (laughs) So like Jen said, with Home on the Range, it follows the quatrain, the A, B, C, B rhyming scheme. 
This one does have a particular story. It even mentions some names. But overall, it's so generalized that it could be about any woman at this time, 1700s, 1800s. But the culture is very specific. It's the sea culture. It's nautical. It's trade at sea. It's ships and sailors and ports and all of this, right? It paints a very specific picture. And the lyrics definitely reflect all of those details as well. The main chorus which doesn't have any of those details, but (laughs) the verses do. I'll read you the chorus and then maybe like two of my favorite verses to give you an idea. So the chorus is, My heart is pierced by Cupid. I disdain all silver and gold. There's nothing can console me but my jolly sailor bold. Very catchy. Very cute. And then some of the details of that story, like I mentioned, My father is a merchant. The truth I now will tell. And in great London city, an opulence doth dwell. Mm -hmm. His fortune doth exceed 3,000 pounds in gold. And he frowns upon his daughter because she loves a sailor bold. Dads. (laughs) Dads. (laughs) Um, But then this next verse is like her again, who's who's very, like she's sticking to her love and her story. And she's like, I don't care. I'm just going to go. So she says, a fig for his riches, his merchandise and gold. True love is grafted in my heart. Give me my sailor bold. Should he return in poverty from o'er the ocean far, to my tendum bosom I fondly press my jolly tar. Mm. So even if he comes back dirt poor, yeah. she's saying that she's going to like wait for him. Very romantic. It is. <laughs> it's tragic romantic without anybody dying, which is rare and not easy to do and it works great like you said it's it's that whole emotion of longing and and yearning for somebody to return to you it's beautiful it is i mean they could have easily added a stanza that makes it tragic he never came back she's still waiting at the port you know it could have very easily had that yeah but none of these versions they never had an ending that was tragic or any ending actually it kind of just keeps it open i think my fear would be that they would they wouldn't kill him they would kill her (laughs) like the whole Mulan thing, you know, where it's like, well, I fought the war and I won, saved my dad, I'm going to kill myself. It's like, oh, okay, that's kind of a sharp turn, but all right. Mm -hmm. Very easily could have done that. I think just in comparison of these two, I think yours does kind of fit more of the folk ballad than mine does. Would you agree? I mean, yeah, but again, I feel like at the heart of the folk ballad is going to be that culture, time, and place. When you hear Home on the Range, it's hard not to call it a folk ballad. It is. <laughs> well, it's it's my turn to travel to you. I'm I'm going to meet up with you in I'm trying to bridge the gap there. <laughs> in <laughs> Europe, are you joining me in Europe? I am. So this is my foreign ballad choice. That wasn't obvious. Please forgive me because I do not speak fluid German. It's called Es waren zwei Kongeskinder, which translates to, directly translates to, there were two royal children. And that's sort of the theme of all of them. The original story is based on a poem from Ovid in the Roman Empire. Hmm. So it does kind of have this long gap of time which to me makes sense because 
it's so much older than like Home on the Range, for instance. Like the amount of time difference would mean that it would have more turnover and more change. So the oldest reference to the folk ballad was around 1480. And it wasn't until then, until 1480, that it was put to music. It went from being a narrative poem from Ovid's poem to a narrative poem again, and then put to music. And it's been shared and changed and altered in Danish tradition in 1650, Swedish 1572, Finland 1936, and there's evidence of it use in the Baltic languages, Estonia, Latvia, it's in Sorbian, Polish, Slovenian. I mean, it's just like it's all over Europe because it's so catchy or relevant, I should say. Wow. It's like vague enough for everybody to be on board with it (laughs) and adapt it to like Mm -hmm. their time and place. Interesting. I can't wait to hear what this is about. (laughs) Uh, It's also, of course, in French and all the romance languages. That's just a sidebar. So let me play you a clip of it in German first, and then I can read you the it's a very short version that I have in front of me so I can read the whole entire ballad to you. And there's many different versions of the song. This one I liked because it reminded me of the Misty Mountains dude. (gasps) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Es waren zwei Königskinder, die hatten einander so lieb. Sie konnten zusammen nicht kommen, das Wasser war viel zu tief, das Wasser war viel zu tief. O Liebster, kannst du nicht schwimmen, so schwimme doch her zu mir. Drei Kerzen will ich dir anzünden und die sollen That wasn't the whole song, but that's a good portion of it. What did you think of of that? Beautiful. (laughs) You know, if somebody were to ask me what language that was, Mm -hmm. I would not guess German. Maybe it's just because how it sounds. I mean, the song Mm -hmm. is naturally so beautiful that you wouldn't think it was consonants. (laughs) Right. I mean, I didn't hear that the hard stuff. I was like, wow, that's beautiful. Mm hmm. That's a great selection. I've never heard of it before, though, so I'm super curious why it's so widespread. Please continue. Yeah, I, I'm glad you liked it. I there was a there was actually a couple German ones that I really liked, and this one obviously stood out because of its long history. I mean, it's just been done so many times over the years. So let me read the. There's many, obviously, many German versions of it. So there's really short ones and there's really long ones and the music is exactly the same. Like it's either really short or it's really long. I did that opposite. I'm just going to read the simplified version. It's only four stanzas. 
There were two royal children who loved each other so much. They could not reach each other. The water was far too deep. The water was far too deep. Oh, dearest, can you not swim? Then swim here to me. I will light three candles for you, and they shall shine for you, and they shall shine for you. There sat a false nun, we'll talk about that, pretending to be asleep. She would blow out the candles. The youth drowned so deep, the youth drowned so deep. She took him in her arms and kissed his mouth. Goodbye, only father and mother. We'll never see each other again. We'll never see each other again. So that's the really simplified version. But yes, it's like one of those, you know, folk ballads where it's like you sing it to children at night, but it's just like a horrible tragedy. But it just sounds so pretty that it's better. <laughs> and it's about love. And it's about love. Romantic love. So yeah, the basic, I, from what I understand, the, the basic aspects of it that continued throughout the different versions and the different languages is that you have two royal children on different sides of the ocean and the girl and the dude are missing each other and she puts out it's you know it's one candle or it's three candles or it's a lantern you know various items can be in place there and that uh an evil witch a false nun was a popular version of that i'm not sure what that's about but it sounds really interesting i'd like to meet a false nun just to say i met <laughs> Uh, <laughs> you know those false nuns. You're going to watch mm -hmm. out for them. Check both ways when you cross the street. Any false nuns? All right. Exactly. A uh, bad woman. You know, there's all these. It's very much that archetype that we've talked about before. Um, she's pretending like she doesn't notice anything. And then when she sees the candles or the lantern, she puts it out. So the boy drowns. And the girl... In different versions, she says goodbye to her parents or she just leaves and she goes into the ocean and she drowns with him so that she can be with him. And I was like, yeah, okay. I mean, you both die. So that's cool. That's a quality. <laughs> I'm going to be okay with that. Yeah, as long as they're both dead. Yes. <laughs> Either both alive or both dead. In this case, they're both dead. But this seems, I mean, according to what I've read and what I've been told, this is a very common sleep song, lullaby kind of thing and there's a million different versions from like the one i just played to you know more folk sounding ones and people sing it sometimes with two people a man and a woman will sing it because there's two characters and there's like dialogue in it and so the the simplified version that we that i just read doesn't rhyme <laughs> it's not abcb but most of the versions that i did read were abcb and it, it can be difficult because if it's a direct translation, it's not going to rhyme. It's very hard to make something rhyme in German and then make it rhyme in English and still be the same oh. thing. Oh, but wait, so does it, uh, I'm just to clarify, in the German language, it does rhyme or it doesn't? In the German language, as far as I know, it does. Oh, okay. And then there, but I mean, there are some uh, interpretations that do rhyme and I think are less of a direct translation or they're a translation of something that has already been shifted from the original. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's so old that I think there's a million different things that it could be. But for the most part, yeah, what I've noticed is ABCB. And then it has the, it has dialogue, which my other one didn't. So I wanted to make sure I had one that had dialogue in it. There's a narrative, obviously. And... The theme is, of course, tragic love or love in general. That's how I like my love. Tragic. 
or else it's not worth it. (laughs) I think considering everything, it has pretty simple language. And then, of course, you have the refrain, which isn't quite, I don't know if that's considered a chorus. I don't think it is. But that each part ends with a repeat. So it's like the water was far too deep. The water was far too deep. I think, I mean, I think the chorus would be repeated. And as far as I could tell, there wasn't a single stanza that was repeated throughout. Kind of ticks all the boxes. I mean, it does tick all the boxes for the most part, I believe, in terms of the folk ballad. I made it sound so simple. Finding information about this was a nightmare. (laughs) Just because, like, a lot of the sources were on German sites. And there's only so much Google Translate can do. And... Like I said, there's just so many different versions of this that you could plug it in and get 20 different examples. So there's no predicted historical accuracy. I mean, was there ever any royal children that were in love? Any specific foreign nation it was predicted to be about? As far as I know, it's it's just based on Ovid. I have not read the poem from Ovid, but it has the same concept. I don't know that it was reattached to anybody else specifically like per country yeah because yeah most folk ballads would be off of poems and if that's the original poem i wonder then if the original poem was based from a historical event which like you said is it's really hard to research something like that when it's a different language and it's that old 1400s that's like (laughs) that's probably before the printing press so i don't know if there would have been any record anyway I'm sure, you know, I I probably should have read more about specifically the original story, because I think that would answer a lot of our questions, but I didn't. Yeah, I don't know what kind of records they have in terms of the original poem from the Roman Empire. But even like you just said, even in 1480, these are references to things that they're guesstimating. I mean, they think it was around 1480 that somebody put music to it, but that could have been done decades before. There's just no way of, of knowing that. Cool. No, sorry. I, I don't know the poem, so I, I guess I was just more curious if there was any historic context behind it that I just wasn't aware of and that everybody else was. I don't know. So he was alive from 43 BC to 17 1880, and that was during the reign of Augustus. Oh, damn. Yeah, that's what oh, I mean. Oh, so this is ancient Egypt, uh, ancient Rome. Yes, sorry. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I didn't know anything about the poem itself. So I'm glad that may- that might clarify for our listeners too, that the original text of it is coming from ancient Rome. Yes. And then it's put to music much later in the 1400s. Yes, in Germany. Okay. Sorry, I didn't say that well. No, no, no. I'm sorry. Maybe, or maybe you did and I didn't, I didn't understand no, you didn't. that. Uh, <laughs> I didn't say that. Okay, okay. So this is an this is an interesting history behind. I mean, it's a story that can definitely not be verified then, uh, unless there's like written records somewhere. But it could be any love story between royalty because there was going to be lots of them back then, or at least aristocrats and their children. Exactly. Ooh. Okay. It's like a template, right? Like, isn't even Tristan and Isolde? similar to Romeo and Juliet and like and this even this story these are very old placeholders that can be repeated over and over in different ways I just thought it was so interesting that it started from such a long time ago and then the first place you see it pop up again is 1480 in 
Germany of all places, not Italy, <laughs> for instance. That but. is really interesting. I mean, adaptability in other nations is is curious because either that means they were so interested in it because, I mean, there was nothing big that happened in their own nation that can reflect that theme. So they sort of take it and adapt it or it just passes their way and somebody takes a liking to it and then that's what they print, you know? Who knows? And then everybody likes it. Yeah. Hmm. Who knows? <laughs> but you can see why I was kind of dragged into this folk ballad because it's just got such a weird history. Tragic love archetype, I guess I would call it. Tragic love theme. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. That's everlasting. If you're a kid and you're in love, that's great. But just, just don't do anything crazy. That's a great message. Thank you. Watch out for false nuns. It's <laughs> <laughs> the theme. Watch out for false nuns. So that was mine. I hope that was interesting. I would like to hear what you got. Mine also has the love theme. I don't know if it's a tragic love theme, but it's definitely a love theme. And it is way younger than Rome and 80s. <laughs> Damn. But I, I was very interested in finding a Spanish corrido. Because at first, I didn't even know that that's what corridos were. They are totally folk mm. ballads. Because I had mm. heard the term before, and I've even written a few corridos. Mm. But I didn't realize that they were meant to be danced to originally. But even the corrido is fairly young. Like I said, it, it became a, a concrete thing only during the Mexican-American War. Mm. That would have been 1600s. Do you think they got it from the English that were in America? I think they had the form, but they only started calling them corridos during the Mexican-American War because suddenly there was an agenda to them. Gotcha. And there was a big separation between English-European and Spanish-European. Okay. And once the separation was made, I'm sure the cultures wanted to be very distinguished. They wanted to say, no, we have the folk American ballads here and ours are the corridos, right? Interesting. Okay, cool. I, but you're right. I'm sure they had the form already. And if anything, they had brought some from their European origins. Right. Okay. There is some details of a corrido that makes it more of a corrido than just a folk ballad. They do make sure to begin and end with bookends. One introduction, for example, would be the singer saying, I'm going to tell you a story. Hmm. Or this is a story from 19 blah, blah, blah. And then they would end with either saying, thank you for listening to the story. Or they would say, the moral of the story is this, this, this. So they would have a good framing device every time. Cool. That would be very characteristic of the corrido versus just a folk ballad. Cool. Yeah. So anyway, I found a lot of them. And as I said, the, the ones depicting women were not great. <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm not surprised by that. The Spanish culture is terrible to their women because everyone was like, I'm drinking, I'm drunk, I'm just going to like beat up on my girl. Oh my or <laughs> we're going to win this girl by like fighting it out. Or I like that they sound like hillbillies. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. That's not what they sound like. <laughs> and I don't want to offend them by trying the Spanish accent, but... You know what I mean, right? Like, they're not yeah. going to look favorably on their women most of the time in these songs, right? Mm. Not to say that they didn't historically, but not in these songs. Right. But I did find one that was super interesting because it actually talks about a Mexican woman archetype. And it is the mm. warrior woman archetype. Ooh. Speaking of Mulan, Ooh. we're just going to keep bringing this up because we know so yes. much about Mulan now. <laughs> 
I know it just won't. It's just it needs to get out of our brains. <laughs> yep, it will eventually, but right now, <laughs> it's called La Adelita. Hmm. It is based on a specific character, although historically they can't verify that she was real. But the time was from the Mexican Revolutionary War, which is only 1900s. Very hmm. young. And I'm very surprised that they actually can't verify that there was this person. But one researcher that I found, it was based on this woman named Adelita Adela Valerdes Perez. Ooh, pretty name. Very pretty, yes. And that she was part of a band of women during the Mexican Revolution that was trained as a soldier. Cool. I mean, yeah, I didn't even know that they existed. I think I always thought that if they were involved in the war, and this was a war against the Mexican civilian mm. and the Mexican government. I see. So there was often these bands of home regiments being built for that reason. Hmm. But just like the Mulan thing, a lot of the daughters were trained to either protect their homes or go off and travel with the men to either heal or sometimes even fight. Uh, shoot, Well, fighting meaning shooting basically just from a distance but and they were called either soldaderas female soldiers hmm. and later the archetype would be called adelitas mm. so the adelita was an independent warrior woman and to this day is used for that reason that's so cool that's beautiful where is that movie i actually i have a feeling it's probably somebody's dream movie in mexico to to make because they had a lot yeah. of comments on adelita when i looked it up hmm. i need it yesterday <laughs> yes i know <laughs> and it will surpass the newest mulan mm -hmm. the other details the researcher the researcher mentioned was that they think that she was from chihuahua from a wealthy family she was beautiful but also respected once she had joined yeah girl and then in the song it's describing that one of the lieutenants fell in love with her. The lieutenant was named Antonio. Oh. Yes. <laughs> the song is sung from his perspective, talking about her. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what makes it a love song, is he was a musician. So once he met her, all he could do was play love songs. And it even said mm -hmm. his post was at the front of a train. Like when they traveled, he would sit at the front of a train and just like sing love songs about her. Oh, that's so sweet. Which is actually very cute. Yes, it was very cute. And they mentioned that he did respect her. That was a big deal. Good. So I'm like, yes, great. This is the good kind of love. You can sing as many love songs as you want. If you have respect in there, that's fine. It's just <laughs> when you like over-sexualize somebody and don't respect them that it becomes an issue. People don't seem to understand that. I don't know why. It's not rocket science, but good for him. <laughs> Yes, I agree. In the song, it mentions that he misses her so much that he actually requests a transfer. I guess what she worked for was called the White Cross Relief. And when she wasn't fighting, she was healing, and that would be her post. Nice. So he requested to be at that post. Mm -hmm. And the song says that they were together for a while, and then one day Antonio was shot. <gasps> and it's him who dies. Saying that he will love her forever and she comes to his side, but she's still alive by the end of it. That's really sweet. All good there. Yes, yes. <laughs> All good. <laughs> I mean, it sucks that he had to die. We finally find a dude who respects a woman and can play music and sing. And what do they do? They shoot him. <laughs> <was kind> of funny. <laughs> 
But in the Spanish language, it follows the ABCB pattern. It sounds actually very beautiful in Spanish. Maybe I should play a clip of it now. You should. That's so fun. Oh my gosh. I mean, I don't, yeah, that was really cool. I like that it gets like, it goes dramatic and slow and then it goes back to the like, woo, let's dance. Ranchera is basically the corrido, but, you know, a little bit modernized, the genre of Mm -hmm. ranchera, which is popular in the Southwest. The signature upbeat, bounce, bass. Accordion? Accordion, guitar, Mm -hmm. sometimes the horns, sometimes the violins, mariachi. If you have that in your head, that's that's usually what a corrido is. Cool. But like I said, in the Spanish language, it does rhyme. And you could probably hear that, right? (laughs) In the song. Yes. But in English, if you want to hear a little bit. I do. It begins, at the top of a steep mountain range, a regiment was camped. And a brave young woman followed him, madly in love with the sergeant. Popular among the troops was Adelita, the woman that the sergeant idolized, who in addition to being brave, was pretty, that even the colonel respected her. Stuff about love, blah, 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 blah. And then his last words when he's dying, and if I die in the war and my corpse is going to be buried, Adelita, my God, I beg you, don't go crying for me. Mm. Beautiful. So I thought that was kind of fun. (laughs) I wouldn't even have known that Mexican women had a woman warrior to idolize. True. That captures that piece of culture. I tried to do as much research like you did with the German song as possible about the origins of it, like who wrote it and why. I don't think they know who wrote it, but it was being sung during the revolution (laughs) and it was popular among the women. So maybe that's all they needed to know. I, I like the idea that a woman wrote it. I also like the idea that it kind of wrote itself. Yeah. If anything, it represents all these unsung women who were part of the war effort and lived and died just the same as the men did, but don't get all the the glory of it. Agreed. You know, it's a really interesting form of communication, like what we were talking about at the beginning. You have like the narrative poetry plus music plus the form and you get the folk ballad. And I just think it's a really unique medium of writing and like you said singing and dancing and all these other things that are in the arts i'm really glad that you suggested this idea and that we got to explore it good because i think it's kind of a not talked about as much maybe as a form of of storytelling but that's absolutely what it is and like you said songwriting and then 
our modern ballads still have those germs, those germs, <laughs> the origins of the folk ballad in them. I'm pretty sure folk ballad is what influenced those genres. Mm hmm. Well, we want to thank Jesse Martinez and Jeanette Martinez, who are not related to you in any way, shape, or form. Not at all. <laughs> and J.R. Keeler and Thunderfly. Thank you very much for your support. If you'd like to be able to pitch us your favorite stories or just support our creative endeavors, you can go to patreon.com slash bite the pen. If you can't afford to donate, that's no problem. Sharing our episodes goes a long way, and we really appreciate everybody's support either way. You guys are really awesome. We're on Facebook and Twitter, and you can listen to us on iTunes and all the other podcast apps. And you can email us at info at bitethepen.com if you would like to communicate with us. Do you have anything else before we say goodbye? I have a great exit quote. Okay, bye. I mean, okay, bye. <laughs> and never mind. You don't want to hear my quote. I won't, I won't say it. It's okay. It's fine. Read it. Okay. So this comes from a, another collection of folk songs, and it's actually songs of the great American West, speaking of home on the range. But this one was published 1966, but it had an interesting introduction, and this comes from that introduction. I thought it was really well stated. Fact and fantasy intermingle freely in folk song, but the exactitudes of dates, names, and places become increasingly less important the longer a song is sung. For these songs not only relate history, they themselves are part of the historical process. <laughs> <laughs>